Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our next podcast. As we continue on to complete soon, uh, we just have a few more, but right now we're going to move on with the uh, Noble Eightfold Path. And today, um, sorry, it's taken me a little while. I was just making sure, you know, I don't like to just reiterate the same old, same old. And, and I believe that a lot of our teachings in Buddhism have been, uh, you know, misdirected in the West, um, especially um, how people interpret as time goes on, of course, we better understand a lot of the uh, language that's being used. And also there are more traditions on top of it. So what I'm trying to give people is that this is obviously not a uh, Theravadan perspective, but uh, more of a Mahayana. Because it's interesting, a lot of times you will hear the Eightfold Path as taught as beginning Buddhism in Mahayana, but not necessarily used uh, as much as it uh, usually is in other traditions. So even though, because sometimes when I studied Buddhism originally, I studied the Eightfold Path, but, you know, people didn't really go deeply into it because just by glancing, you know, right effort, right livelihood, etc., people believe that they understood what it meant. But but these were meant to be investigated. And also, uh, they're extremely deep. And, and it's really important because it can be a very useful tool. And Buddhism is about tools, giving us tools uh, to make that change, to change the energy in our life, uh, to also use our uh, self-energy to learn and change towards enlightenment rather than suffering. And what I wanted to do was, from our tradition, uh, being Nichiren Buddhism, uh, we are, of course, based in the Lotus Sutra, also based in Grand Master Tiantai's Maka Shikan. And the Shikan is the Great Concentration and Insight Sutra. And I wanted to really research as to how this was, now that it's finally become available in English, um, to find out how the Eightfold Path is used and seen in our tradition uh, so I wanted to share that with you today. So today we're going to get on with uh, right effort. Right effort is really, uh, you know, important because it, it actually comes farther down the line, right? So we have uh, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort. Now it's interesting, a lot of people, if you look at the, the language, some people might say, well, action and effort are the same. Um Effort is a, th this particular um, noble truth is actually extremely deep. Now I'm going to share with you some of the basic ideas um, beginning in early Buddhism, but then I'm going to share with you how that works into Tiantai or uh, the Makashikan. And what right effort means is that what effort, and you see it builds upon each other, because even with livelihood, we go from livelihood. But again, we want to continuously deepen ourselves, deepen our practice, awaken that Buddha nature. And it's important to understand the basis of Buddhism and how it's different than other teachings. That's really important. A lot of times people like, again, and this is in the West, people like to say, well, Buddha is your God or, you know, uh, everyone believes in goodness and, and, and this kind of thing. And so, of course, people are always trying to make um, connections, all right? Especially since there's so much 
uh, separation in, in many religious traditions that often end in bloodshed or hate for another person. Of course, that is uh, what people try to do, find commonalities. But it's also important for us as Buddhist disciples to know the differences. And, and that is that in this idea of right effort, the Buddha is actually, the Buddha's teaching, the Buddha's directive is different because it, it actually means we can change in this life. We're not waiting for... Um, you know, necessarily there are some forms of Buddhism that have the tariki, which is the outside power, other power. Uh, and then, of course, uh, jiriki, which is one's own power, which also, which is usually associated with the uh, Theravadan. And then a lot of Mahayana schools use the tariki, which is the other power, such as the Nembutsu school, with the idea of Amida Buddha in the Western Pure Land. But we in the Lotus Sutra uh, believe that this world here is the eternal Buddha's pure land and that actually this time period which we call the decadent Dharma uh, that when the Buddha's teachings are supposedly collapsing and, and becoming less known and people are of different capacities to, to, to do any effort uh, to change that a lot of uh, Mahayana Buddhism speaks of that as a time of darkness but it's interesting, the Lotus Sutra says it's the time for the most highest teaching of the Buddha to be revealed. And that that's really essential because it also means that it's not about giving up and that the Buddhist basic premise that we can change uh, through one's own personal effort as well as the support and vow of the Buddha. See, this is where they both come together. Uh, as it says in the Lotus Sutra Chapter 2 Expedience, there's not two, three, or four vehicles. There's only one vehicle. And of course, the other teachings were appropriate to different times. And also, they were pointing towards the ultimate truth of the Lotus Sutra. So, with right effort, uh, I, I'm trying to use it as a way that I've incorporated. So, when you study the eightfold, the Noble Eightfold Path, it's really important to work through each of these. Then memorize a list of things. Because memorizing a list is going to lead to lots of misunderstanding and shallow understanding. And again, it, it, it works together and it becomes a useful tool rather than just something you memorize. Uh, and that's, that's essentially why the Buddha make any, made any effort, made any teaching, was to, of course, awaken us through our efforts and, and through the support of the Buddha. So one thing that's very important is that in this and in the Theravadan tradition, they speak specifically what is needed uh, for progress. Now, it's you know, Buddhism has lots of different, and this is a perfect example, so many lists. Buddhism loves lists. And if, of course, if you read uh, Tiantai's, Master Tiantai's teaching, many more lists. And again, they interpret other older lists from other traditions, uh, from early Buddhist teachings, and incorporate them in the Mahayana. But one of the four important things is the, the first one is to understand the four mental states. Because again, with right effort, this is the kind of energy we need. So effort is not, you know, we, we look at right action. But this is specifically the right kind of mental energy uh, because effort is seen as something that we physically do, but we start, of course, as we know, uh, in the mind, whether we uh, invest in something or don't. So Buddhism can be seen as an investment, you know, simply as an investment system that uh, we become aware because most people are not aware of what they invest in. They simply invest in what brings them the quickest and easiest fix like an addict, um, to their suffering. So if they're not in a good mood, they 
do whatever they do that brings them momentarily ha- momentary happiness, even if it's perhaps self-destructive in the long term, such as gaining weight, uh, you know, even the idea of drugs, uh, death, you know, less severe things. Because, I mean, even, you know, that's, of course, a severe example. But, you know, again, like if you turn to junk food or turn to unhealthy other uh, behaviors um, that can eventually lead to sickness and death. And it's very important that this is the first part I want you to, to understand. In Tiantai Buddhism, Master Tiantai's teaching uh, and the idea of the Shikan meditation, and, and, and even I see this, and of course it's all based on the Lotus Sutra, is the idea of living a life energetically by being able to regulate one's life and, and to make that change in this life to enlightenment, not pray for it in another life or pray to some specifically uh, some specific deity or wish to go to a heaven or another world. But that we understand our mental states because first, as we know, whatever energy we put into something, if, if we're not aware of the awareness, that's the concentration, the samadhi, and, and again, continued concentration. So it's not just concentration for a moment. It's a continued concentration. So you're aware throughout your day, not just at certain aspects or certain moments, like when you're performing meditation. But that samadhi, continuous awareness, is supposed to continue through the day. That's why that word samadhi actually takes two words in English to explain it, because most people say concentration. But concentration can be momentary. Continuous concentration. That means long-term concentration. And because we do that, we observe mental states. And the Buddha has this idea of uh, four mental states that we have in our mind that we need to be aware of. And somebody had used the idea of, you know, if you take a metaphor, and this is another way that the Buddha's teaching is so superb, is using similes and metaphors, right, to give us examples, right? Uh, And to give us ideas that we can keep in our mind because a lot of times we're, you know, there are many ways of learning and memorizing, right? Uh, similes and parables, right? And uh, so the four mental states that the Buddha teaches us is that these are the things that we need to, when we see something happening, when we have a thought, whatever we invest in, that, that is essential that we understand what mental state that that is. And, and is that something that if you look at as a garden, is that going to be productive for the garden? Or if that's going to be detrimental to the garden. And, and that's also where the idea of sati or mindfulness comes in. And again, it's energetic mindfulness. So mindfulness, people use this word mindfulness. In the Buddhist sense, the, the sati uh, means energetic mindfulness. That means with uh, energy behind it, with, uh, uh, how do you say, support, uh, effort, right? Again, with that word effort behind it, not just simply saying, okay, I'm mindful, I'm being aware, I smell, I see everything, I understand the senses. No, it, it means having, of course, as we saw with the very beginning, starting with the right view, and then, of course, uh, purifying our intention. So the first one is to prevent unwholesome mental states. This is seen as a negative thing. So preventing Prevention is a very big part, and as I said, as with Tiantai, prevention comes to the idea of preventing illness, because illness is seen as the, the how do you say, much more direct progression towards death. And if you die, 
that is not the that is not the ideal state to practice Buddhism. The ideal state is being a human being, is to practice Buddhism. And that's very essential to know. A lot of times people don't appreciate their lives and how important it is. That's why in a lot of Buddhist teachings they talk about the idea of that the most sought-after state is to be reborn as a human. Uh, because, again, a human has the ability to discern, uh, is not simply following instinct. It has the mind of the consciousness of mind to be uh, aware, to be able to cultivate and you know develop wisdom and concentration and mindfulness. That That's what's needed in, in understanding and preventing unwholesome uh, mental states. That's the first one we need to see. If something is a totally unhealthy, unwholesome mental state, we should know that. And that is seen as a weed, as something totally negative, right? A weed is something that if you look at it, it's seen as something that is that will eventually take nourishment from the good uh, if you garden. And that's why it's very important, as we were talking about before, entering the mountain, etc. Get into nature. Nature has everything there to teach you. I mean, the Buddha observed nature, observed uh, the birth, the growth of the flower, the wilting of the flower. That's why we use flowers on the altar. We don't use potted plants. We use actual cut flowers because that shows us the state of impermanence, right? But this is the idea of being aware, having the energy, the caring, the bodhicitta. That means the aspiration. Uh, because first you have to be aware, right? That's the idea of having the right view of reality, that everything is not... Uh, as you wanted, etc., and that we actually come to terms with that. But that when we look at our mental states, the first is unwholesome mental states, but it says to prevent unwholesome mental mental states. And these are seen as weeds. Because if you look at, and you've ever gardened, the weeds, the uh, weeds intentionally grow next to the plants. And then it takes all the nourishment, it can grow around the plant, it can grow up the plant and strangle it. All kinds of things that we need to immediately uproot and remove that. Um, number two is the second part. So we prevent. Prevention is the first thing. This is also in the idea of Master Tiantai. Preventing illness. Because once somebody is sick, it's very hard to then become healthy again, according to uh, Master Tiantai's teaching. So that means once sickness has manifested in your body, right, and you don't have the mind of prevention it's sometimes too late that the only thing you can do is then be able to um, hopefully uh, keep that sickness from growing or uh, remove some of the pain and uh, anguish, etc. that's associated. But actually, Buddhism is more on prevention. So the first one is preventing unwholesome, and the second one is eliminating. So that means we see the weeds, right? We should prevent it, right, by uh, doing uh, all of the uh, things we should with our garden, etc., right? Uh, raking, moving, whatever we need to do, mulching, etc. And then the second is that if they do grow, we need to be able to eliminate them. We need to pick them out, okay? Those are those first two are concerning unwholesome. And they don't say ne negative, right? Because, you know, in Buddhism, everything is part of this universe, okay? And, and what makes it wholesome or unwholesome is simply if it helps your enlightenment. If it doesn't, then it's considered unwholesome uh, because our purpose is, our one only purpose is to awaken to the true state of enlightenment. Number three is to maintain wholesome states. This is the idea of 
uh, maintaining or taking care of the plants or vegetables as they grow. Because actually, once the vegetables grow, uh, if you don't, like for instance, we had pumpkins this year and that, and squash, that I learned about that when it goes on the ground, if people put hay underneath because bugs will come up, uh, also, if it's directly on the ground, sometimes that can cause some issues with the plant itself. So being aware that maintaining wholesomeness, that when a wholesome thought arises, it needs to be maintained with the right effort. So it's not something we need to invest in wholesome and remove the unwholesome, right? Not invest in the unwholesome. And then if it does grow, we're unable to prevent it, that we need to eliminate it. And number four is deepen and cultivate wholesome mental states. Again, what do we invest in? We we deepen and cultivate not only for today's vegetables and fruits that we grow, but generations to come. That's really important because even when you look at earth, right, you have to think of the earth by not overworking it, uh, by being able to maintain it, by understanding what the pH is in the earth, etc. Um, what kind of soil you have. This all takes great effort if you've ever had a garden. If you just plant a seed and leave it, sometimes it'll grow, but sometimes it'll die, even once it's gotten big because you haven't maintained it. This is the same idea with our minds. So just to sum up the four mental states, we have the two. Uh, unwholesome first, the prevention, and then elimination of, or to remove. And then the wholesome which are three and four, is to maintain wholesome states, and then once we maintain it, to deepen it as well. That means that when we find something that's wholesome, like your practice of Buddhism, we should invest in that. That should be your priority. And then the other things, that's why uh, Master Tiantai said, uh, simply when we practice, it's not the amount that you practice because over time, naturally, your body will realize what is wholesome and unwholesome. Your mind will too. But when your mind is an unbridled mind, it won't. It'll do whatever it wants, okay? And that is a very, uh, that, that's what's very detrimental to us. So once we understand through the other, uh, through right view and right intention, we can be able to understand what is wholesome and unwholesome. We talked about that before. And then what we do is that we then invest in what is wholesome and maintain that. And consistency, as Master Tantai said, continuity is very important. So even if you were to practice meditation or chanting for 10 minutes a day, and you just do that, because 10 minutes is not unreasonable, your body and mind will automatically soon, even though it may fight you on that, but if you have the right view and you invest and, and, and cultivate wholesome rather than unwholesome, it will automatically change your mind. So therefore, you won't always be in a fight to practice because your mind will know, your body will know. That's why you have to physically practice with your body what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. Another example is, I don't know if any of you have ever, um, you know, eaten healthy for a long time and, and then tried to eat something that was, um, uh, what do you call it, when it's uh, produced, like for instance, McDonald's, right? When you have something that is, uh, you know, not in its uh, original energetic state, but kind of as they state usually dead food. Now, sometimes that could be very, some people like that. Uh, but I mean, once you realize it, uh, if you eat healthy and you're in a good state of mind, 
I once did that, and it tasted like no taste. There was no taste because I had experienced the wholesome taste of real vegetables, fresh vegetables, because we have a garden, and uh, fresh uh, food, etc. And then there was no comparison. And the other is that when I had to go to uh, Europe uh, by my teacher's uh, request to study and to travel and to learn. One thing, he had a list of things he had me do, and one of them was to try Belgium chocolate. And I grew up, don't know if any of you is the same, but I grew up in the 80s and 90s where processed chocolate, that's the word, processed, uh, was the, the pretty much all the chocolate we had. And that was my understanding of chocolate, and I had never had any real, uh, like, Belgium chocolate, high-quality high chocolate. And when I first tried it, it melted in my mouth, and I was just so amazed and it only took one rather than having to eat a whole box of them i became content with one my body became content with one that was interesting because when i was a kid i could devour and, and as a dog i could devour chocolate and ice cream and everything and usually i think that was one i think food is perhaps one of the ways that i had dealt with stress and or uh unwholesome feelings etc uh, and, uh, then once you try that, uh, it's interesting. You don't need as much. And, and also the, um, the effect is quite different. So then when I, when I came back and I tried processed chocolate, it was, uh, wasn't as good as it was when I when before. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the idea with Buddhism. Our bodies will adjust. Our minds will adjust. And that, that's really significant. So this is the first part. This is going to have to be two parts because uh, we're already 20 minutes here. So I don't want to go too long. I'm going to make another segment concerning the next half of right effort because we get into some other parts because, again, right effort in Tiantai Buddhism then goes into what we call the five hindrances more specifically. So I said wholesome, unwholesome. Then in the next one, we'll go into it. The five hindrances, which are considered negative, and, and this is considered not the five impediments, they say in uh, the Makashikan, which is called Gogai, which are the negative things, uh, the hindrances towards our uh, wholesome behavior. And then they also understand the idea of what are the wholesome behaviors by the idea of the seven components of awakening. Uh, which they call the seven factors of enlightenment, I believe, in Theravada Buddhism. And this is called uh, Shichikaku uh, Ishi of uh, Tiantai tradition. And that's the Japanese name, of course. And, and this shows us the seven components that are necessary for awakening. Uh, and that what we can do, and this is the Buddha, he didn't leave you high and dry going, okay, simply wholesome, unwholesome, by giving you rules, right? Uh, this is wholesome, this is unwholesome. No, we're cultivating states of mind that we can have our own discernment from our Buddha nature. Not, And then this is the freedom of Buddhism. That is, it's not in the religious uh, system itself. It's beyond that. And the Buddha goes in and then teaches us deeper. That's why understanding these four mental states are really important. That when a thought arises, we understand if it is wholesome and then how to deal with it. If it is unwholesome. And then what we'll go into the next one, which will be the second half of right effort, will be, of course, the uh, the uh, five hindrances and seven factors of enlightenment. Okay, so I will go ahead and make that next podcast. So thank you very much, everyone. I hope this was a good introduction. Again, right effort is really important to have a deep understanding of because this is where 
a lot of times, you know, all of them are kind of like where the rubber meets the road. But here we're going into a deeper level that we become more sensitive. And Buddhism is absolutely a sensitivity. Uh, that means that we have an awareness. That That's our sensitivity. Um, you know, as I said with samadhi, continued, stable awareness. And then, of course, energetic sati, energetic mindfulness, uh, which, of course, leads us into the ideas of joy, pleasure, equanimity, etc. So, okay. And uh, I really appreciate everyone, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Namo myoho renge kyo.